Episode 4, Revelation and the Star of Bethlehem. Welcome to The Hidden Bible, a podcast about the strange, the obscure, the confusing. Do I dare to say it? the contradictory passages of the Christian Bible. I am your host, Deacon Harvey Santiago, a Catholic permanent deacon from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And you are listening to The Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, we have a full studio tonight. I am your host, Deacon Harvey Santiago, and you are listening to another episode of The Hidden Bible, the podcast about the <clears throat> less quoted passages of the Bible. I hope you're having a wonderful Advent season and that your Christmas season will be filled with blessings and joy. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, I should tell you that for Catholics, the first four weeks before Christmas is called Advent. For us, Christmas is not just a day. It is a season of 12 days, which goes from December 25th to January the 6th, in which we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany, the time in which the three wise men visited the baby Jesus. Today, in the second part of the podcast, we will be looking at this part of the Gospels. But before we continue with the program, let me remind you that the Hidden Bible podcast is now in iTunes, and that you can visit our website at www.thehiddenbiblepodcast.com. Here, you can send feedback at the Hidden Bible at gmail.com or you can contact me directly in my email deaconharvey at yahoo.com and once again that is deacon d-e-a-c-o-n harvey h-a-r-b-e-y at yahoo.com with this out of the way on with the show In our last show, we talked about how this being we call God is unlike anything we can experience in our reality. We also talked about how the Bible records encounters with this being and how the inspired authors struggle to explain that which they could not explain. Today, we will spend some time discussing a concept which is shared by all Judeo-Christian religions. This is Jews, Muslims, and Christians. This concept explains why the ancient authors again and again encountered this being. I'm talking about revelation. Now, one of the simplest definitions of this word is 
the process by which God manifests himself to humanity. The Bible could be viewed as a record of this divine self-revelation. To understand this process of self-revelation, we will have to take a step back and think about the way human beings communicate, reveal themselves to each other. Of course, to do this, we use words. But what are words? Well, if you think about this, when one says, for example, the word chair, those listening to this word get a mental image of a four-legged object, which is best used for sitting. Now, keep in mind that, in a sense, one word is spoken, chair, and many unique images of this object, dependent on the culture, background, and life histories, pop in the minds of each listener, each image unique to each listener. If you think about it, each word which comes out of the mind of a human being brings out a unique mental image in each of the minds of those listening. The fact is, it is very difficult for me to make sure that my own personal idea of the object chair pops into the minds of all my listeners. Now, this points to an interesting fact about words. Words are not the image, but words serve to invoke images. The words we use to communicate are signs or symbols of the ideas we are trying to convey. Human communication, in its essence, is symbolic. This fact is of immense importance when we talk about revelation, because God has chosen to use symbolic communication to enact his self-revelation. In the Bible, we are able to see this in action. In fact, in the Bible, we can follow a thread in which we can clearly see how God goes from using symbols of himself, which are very general, such as God the Creator, God the All-Powerful, God the Great Warrior, to symbols which become more and more personal. God, the forgiving father, God, the distraught lover, to a point that in the very last few parts of the Bible, we can see God himself presenting himself into a form our human minds can understand. He introduces his own self into human history to serve as the ultimate symbol of God in the person of Jesus the Christ. Now you might think this is just one of many interpretations of God's manifestation in the Bible. But in fact, this process of divine revelation is described in one of the last books of the Bible. In the first chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, we are told, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Brothers and sisters, in times past, 
God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son, whom he made heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe, who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being. Jesus is the very imprint of God. Christians acknowledge Jesus, the Son of God, as the symbol the word which shows in the most perfect way the idea of the divine being, a symbol so perfect that he himself is God. In Jesus, we see the culmination of divine revelation, God in the flesh, which is why we celebrate every year Christmas. The last point I would like to make today about Revelation is this. The Bible is an instrument of revelation, but revelation does not happen exclusively through the Bible. In fact, one of the most well-known theologians of the 20th century, Cardinal Avery Dulles, wrote a book entitled Models of Revelation, in which he surveys all the different modes by which divine revelation happens. In this book, he lists five basic models of revelation, of which two are of interest to us in this podcast. Revelation of God's immutable commands, revelation as history. Since they are directly related to sacred scripture, we will visit each one of these in detail in our next shows. Now, in this special time of Christmas, I would like to take a look at one of the most mysterious objects recorded in the Bible. I am speaking about the Star of Bethlehem. In a segment I like to call... The Bible Mystery Laboratory. Welcome to the BML, the segment in which we take a look at some of the most obscure passages in the Bible applying the tools of history, science, and reason, sprinkled with a bit of faith-seeking understanding. This being the season of Christmas, I figure, it's a great opportunity to take a look at one of the most mysterious objects in the Bible, the Star of Bethlehem, a celestial event which was interpreted by Babylonian astronomers as announcing the birth of a Jewish King. The image of the Magi following the star is so ingrained in the Western culture that it has become one of the symbols used to identify Christmas, along with reindeers, Christmas trees, and Santa Claus. You might think that with such a popular image, there would be more information about this celestial object. But the reality is we only have 
the story recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as some ancient astronomical records which seem to corroborate its existence. Before we go any deeper, let's listen to just the passages in the Gospel which mention this celestial event. This is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 7, 9, 10, and 16. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave order to kill all boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, these passages might seem innocuous to some readers, but in fact, they are packed with useful information which will help us in our discussion today. I've been thinking about what is the best way to present this information and decided that the best way might be in a question-answer format. So, here we go. Who was King Herod? King Herod was a puppet king installed by the Romans to rule over the land of Israel during the period when Jesus was born. The one important fact about this man that is relevant to this story is that he was a ruthless king and that he was hated by his people. So it fits perfectly to think that he was capable of ordering the murder of innocent children. Who were the Magi and where did they come from? The Greek word Magi literally means magician, but in the context of the times in which Jesus was born, it also meant astrologer or astronomer. We could say that these men were the equivalent of what we call today men of science. In the times of Jesus, it was believed that Magi came from the land of ancient Mesopotamia. To be more specific, the city of Babylon, what we call today Baghdad. This is the same land in which the Jewish people had spent seven years in exile. Now, Babylon was about 500 miles from Jerusalem. So these men had to walk for about 25 to 50 days, assuming the speed of a caravan of camels throughout the desert is about 10 to 20 miles a day. Why would these learned men take such an arduous trip? A number of reasons. 
First of which is that because of the 70 years captivity of the Jewish people, these learned men were aware of the Jewish history as well as the prophecies that a great worldwide leader was to be born from this constantly persecuted people. The appearance of the star might have been the catalyst which made them decide to take such a journey. Also, it was not rare for learned men to pay homage to newborn kings. Why did they go to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem being the power center of the Jewish nation where the Jewish king resided was the first logical stop in a trip to visit the newborn Jewish king. Also notice that the star was not pointing towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is west of Babylon and the star was rising from the east. Lastly, for ancient peoples, the movement of stars had a direct correlation with events in their daily lives. Somehow the appearance of this star correlated to the birth of a king and the Hebrew people. The reading implies this when it says that the Magi saw his star, meaning the star of the newborn king. How long had they been studying this star? The gospel tells us that Herod ordered the murder of all male boys younger than two years old based on the time he had learned from the Magi. So it seems that they have been studying this object for two years prior their decision to visit Jerusalem. Why didn't Herod or his learned man notice the star? In the history of the people of Israel, trying to predict future events was against the law. So there was no established tradition for astrology and celestial events were just ignored unless they affected directly the life of the people of Israel. Why can we be certain that these men saw anything? Well, for one thing, these men were what we consider today the scientists of their times. Since they knew the movement of celestial bodies so well, they could predict their behavior. So when something out of the ordinary happened in the heavens, they recorded it. These observations are considered as reliable, even by modern scientists. What did they actually see? Well, this is a bit difficult to explain. Apparently, they noticed a star which appeared in the east and moved from east to south. If you look in an ancient map, Jerusalem is southwest of Babylon. At some point, when they were in Jerusalem, and this is where the strangeness starts, they noticed the same star moving ahead of them, coming to repose over the place where the child was. Now, this specific point could be interpreted in many ways. Some people claim that the star actually stood in top of the house where the babe was. In my opinion, this is rather unlikely, as stars do not behave like this. Most likely, the star stood over the small village of Bethlehem, and the Magi just inquired for the babe's location, like they did on Jerusalem already.
This is corroborated by the fact that once Herod knew about the star, he ordered the murder of children in the village of Bethlehem and not on the specific house where the child was at the time. Another point to be made about the strange behavior of this star is that at the least, it was visible for a period of about two months, the time it took to travel between Babylon and Jerusalem. And then it moved by its own volition for about two hours, the time it takes to walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. How can a star behave like this? Before we can answer this question, we need to understand something about ancient astronomy. For these people, there was no difference between stars, comets, planets, supernovas, galaxies, etc. For them, anything bright in the sky other than the sun and the moon was considered a star. So now that we know this, we can start speculating about the nature of this celestial body. Right out of the bat, we can eliminate stars, planets, supernovas, and galaxies, because these do not suddenly appear in the night sky. This leaves comets as a potential suspect. In fact, there are many similarities with the way the star behaved and comets. A comet in their perihelium, moving away from the sun, would appear in the east in the mornings. A comet could be viewed during the day, the time in which people normally travel. A comet would move through the stars from east to south in a period of two months. And lastly, if a comet is close enough to the Earth, it will seen as slowly moving through the sky in the same way the star moved from Jerusalem to Bethlehem in two hours. Is there any corroborating information other than the Gospels about this strange moving star? The closest information we have comes from the ancient Chinese astronomical records in which a comet was recorded appearing in the spring of the year 5 BC, which was visible for about 70 days. Okay, so let's say it was a comet. Why follow this specific comet? Well, for this, we will have to look at Babylonian astronomy. For these astronomers, planets were stars with special significance. For them, Saturn was considered the divine father. Jupiter was the son of the divine father. And Mars was called powerful or the mighty one. A conjunction of any of these three planets would have much significance for them. Also, constellations were important as well. The area in the sky in which we today locate the Capricorn constellation was considered the house of Saturn, or the house of the Divine Father. Also, the area in which we locate the constellation of Pisces was related to the people of Israel. Now, if we look at star charts from the period in which Jesus was born, we encounter that around the year 7 BC, there was a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation of Pisces. This would have been interpreted as the Divine Father and His Divine Son entering into the history of the Jewish people. 
this specific alignment in the heavens only happens once every 900 years. In addition to this event, the astral charts also point to another conjunction the following year, the year 6 BC, in which Saturn, Mars, and Jupiter once again become close in the celestial area of the constellation of Pisces again. So the Divine Father and his son, entering into the history of the Jews, now is accompanied by Mars, the powerful and mighty one, which happens, by the way, once every 800 years. As you can see, these two events within a period of two years would have caused these men to increase their observations of the heavens to see if they could surmise a deeper understanding. So when a comet appears in the spring of the year 5 BC, as recorded in ancient Chinese astrological records, near the constellation of Pisces again, they decided to visit the main city of the Israelites and inquire about the birth of a new king. There is one more piece of information which seems to match quite nicely with this theory. In the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we read in verse 11, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The three gifts given by the Magi would correspond well with the identities given to each of the three planets involved in their prediction. Frankincense for the Divine Father, gold for his son, a mirror to be mixed with oil for anointing of a powerful and mighty one. But these three events are independent of each other, and the story says that they have noticed the star for two years. True. But for the people of this time, the two conjunctions were just manifestations of one constant event. Much like the pain of contractions announced a woman going into labor, all part of the same life-giving event, which happened very slowly and culminated with the appearance of a comet. Now, having said all this, the fact is we will never know, at least in this side of heaven. We will never know what this mysterious phenomena was. Some people have speculated that perhaps it was an angel who behaved in this way, or even a UFO. I prefer to think that this fantastic celestial event was put in motion on the very few microseconds of the Big Bang and that what the Gospel writer records is the culmination of a complex celestial machinery started 13.4 billion years ago. Well, folks, this is all the time we have. 
I would like to wish you a blessed Christmas season and a peaceful and joyful New Year. Hopefully, with all the craziness of the holidays behind us, I will be able to fall into a more stable schedule of about one podcast every month. So look for our next podcast at the end of January, in which we will talk in detail about the first two models of Revelation, and we'll take a look at one of the most disturbing prayers ever answered in the Bible. And speaking about the story of the prophet Elisha and the curse he plays in some children which were poking fun at him for being bald-headed, and how his prayer caused two she-bears to maul 42 children. Until then, and through the intercession of Saint Ephraim the Syrian, deacon and doctor of the church, may the blessings of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. And remember, Viva Cristo Rey!